Why don't you go ahead and turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 9. I want to apologize. We have had some technical difficulties with our gear, uh, our screens, and uh, some of the uh, files and stuff necessary. So I don't have slides today with sermon points. And if you usually read the Bible on the screen, you won't be able to do that today. So make sure you grab your hard Bible or get out your smartphone and open the YouVersion Bible app. And in case you didn't know, the YouVersion Bible app, which is free to download, every week you're able to open that app. And I believe it's in the bottom right corner. It says more. You can click on more then click on events and you can find Word of Grace on there and the sermon notes and the scriptures are on there every week for you. So uh, you can open that up right now if you'd like. If you're here and you want a Bible and you don't have a Bible, we have some on the shelves back there that you can go grab and read. I was talking to somebody last week and uh, they just joined our church and they were saying that they didn't have a Bible and so they grabbed one and he's like, I took it home, I hope that's okay. Listen, if you don't have a Bible, please take one home. That's our gift to you. Uh, So having said that, we as a church are in something right now. We're calling the year of the Bible. We were taking January to December to go Genesis to Revelation, following the main story of Scripture, which is one story about Jesus. Yeah, there's all these different spots, all these different characters, all these different books, but it is one flowing story leading up to Jesus, revealing Jesus, explaining who he is and what he has done. And uh, so now we have just found ourselves over the last couple of weeks in the New Testament. Last week we were in the Sermon on the Mount, and today we'll be teaching from what our reading plan was in this last week. So if you're new here and you want to jump in on that and be a part of that, we welcome you. We would love that. We have those reading plans out at the info desk. You could grab one and or you could also uh, look up the reading plan on our website, wog.church. We find ourselves right now in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. And before I read it, have you ever in your life had something that you knew was going to cost a lot? Whether that's a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of hard work, effort, energy, something that you knew was going to cost a lot, and because of that, you wrestled with, do I really want to pay that price? Do I really want to do all the work that is going to be necessary to acquire or achieve or attain whatever that thing is? This is cost versus reward. And although that's something that happens in business where you've got Uh, cost and benefit uh, research that you do. This is also something that we do every day in our lives in the most minute ways. Even though we might not be thinking, okay, I'm not stopping throughout the day and weighing the cost and benefits uh, where I'm aware, where I'm going, what's the cost of this decision? What's the benefit of this decision? What's the cost of, of wearing these clothes or the benefits or what's the cons? Although we might not get into a mode where we recognize we're doing that, We are, many times a day, weighing the cost and the rewards of our decisions and then acting upon them. For example, in the morning, you have the opportunity to sit and in a moment, in a flash second way, what is the benefit of the donut? It is the deliciousness on the tongue and the lips for a moment. But I'm assuming you know the age-old adage of, A moment on the lips, forever on the hips. That is the cost of the reward. The reward being the momentary flavor. The cost being, well, the implications that it has on your body and your health. 
Now, do we do the same thing when we're sitting here going, I really don't want to eat kale. Like, that's not something I've ever looked at and thought, I want to eat that. But at the same time, you enter in a moment into cost and reward analysis, where you're thinking the cost is yuck, (laughs) and the reward is health and well-being and welfare. And so this is something that we tend to think is something that we only do with big decisions, but it's something that we do day in and day out, sitting, sitting and considering the costs and the rewards of things in our life. Let's look at Luke chapter 9 today, these passages from our reading plan. We're going to read verses 23 through 26. Jesus is talking. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed. (coughs) Excuse me. When he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This is a cost and reward passage. I want to make it abundantly clear. Scripture makes it abundantly clear that salvation through Jesus Christ, having our sins forgiven, being made new by the Spirit of God, welcomed into the family of God, called sons and daughters of the God of all creation, Scripture makes it clear that is a free gift of the grace of God, available to all of us. We are invited to acknowledge our need for a Savior, to recognize that every single one of us is a flawed sinner in need of a Savior, that all of us are on the level playing field of sin, that all of us need to be forgiven, and that forgiveness has been given to us freely by the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Apostle Paul telling the church in Ephesus that we are saved by the free, unmerited favor, the grace of God. I don't care how good you think you are, you're a sinner in need of a savior, all of us. You, me, every single person that has ever lived other than Jesus. The great news for us is that God is not looking at us, expecting us to be good enough for our salvation. That God looks at his son Jesus and the work that he did on the cross, paying for our sin, taking our punishment that we deserved, that we might receive the righteousness of God, the holiness, the forgiveness, everything that Christ earned and deserved. The perfect life he lived, taking the punishment for our imperfection. The grace of God is free. You cannot 
do enough good things. You cannot go to church enough. You cannot pray enough. You cannot read your Bible enough. You cannot give enough money. You cannot help enough little old ladies across the street. You cannot help enough charities. You cannot buy enough brats to fund Bibles going to Uganda. You can never do enough to earn your salvation. It's free and paid for by Jesus Christ. You can't earn it. That is the truth in this hand of the tension of what is in this hand. And that is scripture also shows us that even though our salvation is a free gift from the grace of God, it also will cost you. That it's free in that it's been given to you. But then receiving it and walking it out and following Jesus will cost you. How much? Everything. Jesus said right here in this passage, if anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself. Now, we live today in a place, in a world, in a society, in a culture where the mantra, the message of our culture, and even the own inclinations of our heart is do whatever makes you happy. Like that's our chief pursuit. Do whatever makes you happy. Even it's woven into the fabric of our country's society, the pursuit of happiness. And listen, happiness is good. It's a good thing. It's a gracious gift from God. But in a day and age where, it's, where we are uh, constantly fed, do whatever makes you happy, Jesus calls us to do what makes us holy, to live holy. And Christianity very many times, daily, we are required, as Christ said right here, to deny ourselves, not indulge ourselves, not treat yourself. He says, deny yourself. That does not mean you can never do anything fun. That does not mean you can never do anything that feels good. That does not mean you can never be happy. All of those things, again, are good and neutral at best. But what it does mean is that if you have convinced yourself that you're following Jesus and it has not cost you anything, I think Jesus would confront that maybe you're not following him. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, you have to deny yourself. It is no longer what do I want to do with my life. It is no longer what do I want to do with my money. Oh, there he goes, the preacher talking about money. That's not even what I'm getting at. It is every area of your life, your time, your money, your family, your career, your skills, your, your uh, cognitive abilities, your schedule, everything that God has given you, Jesus requires. He requires it. And as Gino so passionately told us earlier in the worship uh, music, that he's worthy, that he is worthy. Listen, the life of the Christian is a life of self-denial. We must consistently deny self. And this is something that kind of sometimes can become a stumbling block because if you're sold the idea that Christianity is follow Jesus and he'll make your life perfect, follow Jesus and he'll give you everything you've ever wanted, follow Jesus and he'll fix all your problems, you have been sold something that's not truly faithful to Scripture. 
In fact, Jesus here is saying, follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. That would be like saying to us today, hey, take up your electric chair, take up your lethal injection and follow me. He's saying, die and follow me. That when we follow Jesus, our life is no longer our own. Paul would tell the Corinthians that we have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so we no longer have the right to just go, well, what do I want to do? What do I want? How do I feel? Your feelings will lie to you. Feelings lie to you all the time. And if you wake up in the morning and your alarm goes off, how many of you, the alarm goes off and you're like, I cannot wait to run and lift weights and do planks and like, if that's you, there might be one or two of you, but we all think you're weird. <laughs> like, I don't feel that way starting off. I'm like, I would rather roll over and go back to sleep. We don't naturally want to do those things. It takes discipline. It takes denying the moments, the selfish desire to make that right decision. But here's the catch I want you to see today. We will either know the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Say that one more time. We will either know the pain of discipline. Discipline hurts. Lifting weights hurts. Saying no to the yummy food hurts. Discipline is painful. You will know pain. The question is, are we going to know the pain of discipline? Or will we know the pain of regret? Now, I want to slide in the caveat here that if you're here today and you're looking back at your life and you're looking at decisions that you have made in the past and you have regret, this message today is not meant to heap up shame or guilt or condemnation on you for mistakes you've made in your past. If you have regrets over your past, I want you to lay those at the feet of Jesus. I want you to receive the forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ and trust that the Lord can redeem anything that you've messed up. This is not a shame on you message today. This is a today and forward message that if we are to follow Jesus, it requires discipline, the pain of discipline. And if we don't subject ourselves to the pain of discipline, the root word of disciple, then we will know the pain of regret. And with my job, I'm around death a lot, more than the average person, funerals, Families planning and people on their deathbed. And I have been a part of conversations, guys, where people are saying, I wish I would have. Listen, we will either say, I wish I had, or I'm glad I did. We will either say, I wish I had, or I'm glad I did. And Jesus is inviting us into this free gift of forgiveness that also will cost us everything. I remember I had a friend when I was in Bible school, a group of friends that hung out together, and I was on the worship team there, played the guitar down there. And uh, I remember a group of us was hanging out, having fun, and one of my mentors, a dear friend to this day, Gabe Munoz, a uh, wonderful man of God. He was the worship leader at the ministry down in Texas that I was working at. And uh, we like to hang out and have fun all sorts of different ways. And one day, this group of friends, we were inviting him, asking him to go do something fun with us, kind of have a guy day. 
And he was like, uh, I mean, that sounds fun. I should probably check with the missus. Good call, guys. Okay? <laughs> Write that down. Checking with the missus. Good idea. Because I miss stuff. And I'll be like, oh, I forgot that we had that. Yeah, okay. And so he says, let me check with the missus real quick. And he gets back to all of us. He's like, uh, you, know, you know what, guys? She helped me see some stuff. I really probably should be present at home today being uh, a father and a husband. And we're like, oh, man, we get it. Uh, you know, we'll be there someday. And so, yeah, go do your thing. And we went on and had fun. And one of my friends in that group said, man, I ain't never getting married. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I, I don't want to have to have someone that I ask permission for things and that I, that I won't be able to do the things I want to do anymore and that I have to ask this and that I can't. And there was a whole lot of I coming out of his mouth. And I'm sitting here thinking, you sound a little dumb to me because <laughs> I think marriage sounds awesome. And uh, now, of course, Scripture, the Apostle Paul makes the case for that some have been given the gift of singleness. And so I don't want to say that, that you're dumb if you've been given that gift. It's just really rare that God gives that gift to someone. And so all of that to say, all he was looking at was the cost of things that he liked and enjoyed and wanted that someone could possibly say no to. All he was looking at was the cost rather than the reward. And when I looked forward into my future about what I thought marriage would be and could be, I saw something that was desirable more than the things that I might have to say no to. I can't remember who I heard say this one time as a pastor a few years ago. Uh, I can't remember who, but... Uh, they said, we, are, we give up the things that we love for things that we love even more. We all do this. This is called priorities. Where you look at your life and you go, what's most important? And what does that important thing or person or whatever require of me for it to remain most important? And therefore, what do I have to let go of? to keep the most important thing, the most important thing. I love sports. I've always loved sports. I'm relatively athletic. I pick up sports pretty quick. I've played a lot of different sports. And now I am married and I have two daughters and I'm a lead pastor and I have a lot of responsibilities. I don't play sports as much as I used to. Would I like to? Sure, of course. But there are things that I love more than sports, like my wife, like my daughters, like my church family, like serving the Lord. And because of that, I used to play Xbox. I don't play it anymore. I used to play sports all the time. I don't play them as much anymore. Why? Because I've given up things that I love for things that I love even more. And listen, in your faith, following Jesus, there is great cost. You will have to let go of things. You might have to let go of certain possessions. You might have to let go of certain hobbies. You might have to let go of certain friends, people who are going, oh, you're one of those Christians? Yeah, I don't know. You might lose friends. You might have family that looks at you and thinks you're crazy, that you're weird for following Jesus, that you're stupid, delusional, whatever it might be. It might cost you greatly and probably will cost all of us greatly different ways various times in our life. And as long as following Jesus for you is looking at that cost, you won't be looking at the reward. It reminds me of Philippians where the Apostle Paul is says, he says in chapter 4, forgetting those things which are behind me, I press on towards the goal 
the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In chapter three, the same apostle Paul writing to the Philippians, do you remember? He's sitting here going through this list. It was like, I had this going for me and this, and I was a Jew of Jew, Pharisee of Pharisees of the tribe of Benjamin. He's just going through all these things that he once thought were so important. In fact, he says, all these things I once thought were so important, but now I consider them rubbish, garbage. Some translations say dog dung. I have a great Dane. It's a large breed. And she produces quite the quantity of fecal matter. And I have to, time after time, go out in the backyard with the scooper and the bucket. And it's a lot. And I can tell you, in the seven, eight years we've had Penelope, I have never gone out with that scooper, clunk, and thought, oh, I can't believe I gotta let go of this. <laughs> I have never dropped it in the bucket and thought, if it's required, I'm willing to make this sacrifice. No, I'm like, get it out. It stinketh. Don't want to step in it. Don't want my girls playing in it as they're running around in the backyard. Paul saying, all these things in my life I once thought were so important. It's like dog dung. I've discarded it, counting it as loss in order that I might gain Christ and know him and share in his sufferings and know the power of his resurrection. There is the tension for the believer of recognizing there is cost. But as long as your life is focused on what Jesus is requiring you to let go of, you will not know the deep joy of the reward that you are gaining. In fact, one of my favorite verses in all of scriptures out of Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus is again talking to a massive crowd and he says to them, guys, you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like? It's like a man who is walking through a field and found treasure in a field. And for joy over what he found. Not out of burden. Not out of obligation. For joy over what he found. Buries the treasure, hides it again. Goes home and sells everything he has. In order that he might come back and buy that field and have the treasure. Jesus trying to teach a crowd of people, trying to teach us. You want to know what it's like being in the kingdom of heaven? It's like finding something, someone, Jesus Christ, who is worth more than anything else that you have ever pursued in your life. Worth more than our, our picket fence American dream ideas. Worth more than our perfect picture of our family. Worth more than our career goals and aspirations. Worth more than the deep bank account and the retirement and things. All those things are, are, are fine. They're not sinful. But Jesus is saying all of those things are not worth being compared to knowing him. And when you look at the reward of gaining Jesus Christ, you recognize, man, if I can get that, it's worth everything else I've got. And because of joy... Joy over what I just found. I'm going to put it there and I'm going to go 
get rid of everything I've got and sell it so I can gain that field, gain that treasure. It goes on to talk about the pearl of great price. This merchant who found the greatest pearl that, that was ever found, who again sold everything he had so he could gain that precious pearl. Following Jesus will cost you everything. The disciple recognizes that everything I have, my money, my possessions, my time, my job, my skills, my spouse, my kids, everything in my life has been graciously given to me by God as a steward over what he's given me for his purposes. And all of us will also give an account for what we do with what God gave us. I'm standing here today as a lead pastor because I was confronted with scripture, the parable of the talents, where three people were given different measures of talents and the master went away and then he came back and they all had to give an account for what they did with what God gave them. I was comfortable and content being the media pastor at Word of Grace. I was good at it, comfortable, liked it. Even a few years ago, I told my wife, you know what, honey, I don't think I ever want to be a lead pastor because it's hard and I, I've seen it. I know I'm close enough to it. I'm a pastor's kid, very close to Derek. I know what it takes, how hard it is, demanding it is. I told her, I don't think I ever want to do that. But then the word of God confronted me. And I had to be honest in the mirror, Stephen, you're going to give an account for what God gave you. And you're sitting on things right now that you're not being faithful with. And that's what made me go up to my wife and say, honey, we need to start praying because I think I might be called to be a lead pastor. And she said to me, you said you never wanted to do that. I said, I know. But when I get to stand before the father, he's not going to want to hear I didn't want to do that because it's hard. He's going to say, I gave you this. What did you do with what I gave you? And we are all given different gifts, different resources. This looks different for all of us. But following Jesus will cost all of us everything. And so you look at what God has given you. And you ask yourself, how can I be faithful to the Lord with what he has given me? And the more that you focus on the cost, you lose sight of the reward. But if you focus on the reward, you'll lose sight of the cost. It's which one do you want to focus on? You're going to sit here and go, oh, I don't think I want to get married because what if I can't do what I want to do? I don't think I want to follow Jesus because what if I can't X, Y, Z? What if he requires X, Y, Z? I don't want to be a Christian because those people don't know how to have fun. I don't want to be a Christian because then I won't be allowed to do all these things. I want to show you in Scripture an account of this happening real time. Let's go to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10. This was also in our reading plan this week. Of a young man who comes up to Jesus and he loves the idea of following Jesus. So he talks to him. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 and as he was setting out on his journey, Jesus is talking about, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? 
No one is good except God alone. That's a whole other sermon I wish I had time for. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept for my youth. And Jesus looking at him loved him. Do you see that? Jesus looking at him loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. I don't believe this account is given to us as a prescription that every single one of us in order to follow Jesus have to sell everything we have and give it to the poor in order to follow him. I think every single one of us probably should give more than we do. That's just, we're here for a time. God's given us resources. We're the richest people on the world living in America. We should be making gospel work happen with what God has given us. But Jesus, to this young man who comes up and he loves the idea of eternal life, he says, good teacher, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus talking to this young man says, well, you know the commandments, you know the law. Don't do this, don't do that, do this and do that. And he feels pretty good at those things. He says, great. I've been doing all that since I was a little boy. Awesome. And Jesus loving him. I love how that's put in there. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And that love Jesus had for him caused Jesus to confront the idol on his heart. Jesus loving him said to him, yeah, you have done a pretty good job of that stuff. One thing, though, you still lack. Sell it all, all your stuff, and give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. Remember the Sermon on the Mount last week where Jesus said, Do not store up treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where rust and moth cannot destroy and thieves cannot steal. For where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. And here is the pericope, the story, the account of a young man who was, had great possessions to the extent that these possessions had him. And when Jesus shined the light on what was on the throne of his heart saying, hey, here's the issue. My question is for each of us. If Jesus were in the room right now, standing right here, and you came up to him and said, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I, what, what, what's required? What would Jesus say to you? I think the point here is that Jesus went to what was in the root of this man's heart, the one thing that got in the way of him following Jesus, and he went away sad. Why? Because he had great possessions. Listen, guys, possessions are not evil. Money is not evil. Scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. And so we must look at our lives and go, okay, if that's what stopped this rich young ruler, what is the thing that I might think, yeah, I'm willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. I'm willing to give this. I'm willing to give up that. I'm willing to, except just this one thing, God, 
Don't touch that, please. And I think whatever that one thing is, is what Jesus would look at you in the eyes and say, that's what you got to let go of. And we've got to be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves, man, what is it that would cause me to go away sad? What is the idol in my heart and in my life that I would consider too great a cost to go after the reward of knowing Jesus Christ? Every single one of us has something. This is where we wrestle and we evaluate. But when you focus on the reward, you can forget the cost. Romans chapter 8 is the last place I'm going to flip today for time's sake. Romans chapter 8. I'm looking at uh, verses 16 through, through 18. The Apostle Paul talking to the church in Rome. He says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Paul is telling us, listen, if you've been saved, if the Holy Spirit has come in and made you new, the Holy Spirit internally will be bearing witness with you to where inside you've got that, I just know I belong to God. That's what he's saying right there. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Here we go. Here comes the fun part. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Romans 8 is quite possibly the greatest chapter in the greatest book in the greatest book. Romans 8 is loaded with powerful verse, powerful truth after powerful truth after powerful truth. So many quotable verses in Romans 8. So many memorizable verses. So many anchors for our souls. And of all the t-shirts I've seen and all of the verses I've seen people memorize, I've never seen anyone with a coffee mug that says, provided we suffer with him. No, it's always the... All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Mmm, feels good. And that's true. All things do work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. But that doesn't make this verse untrue. Paul says we're heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. And that is often what causes people to go, yeah, I don't know if I want that. I don't know if I want to follow Jesus. I don't like that suffering idea. I don't like this cost idea. But look what Paul does with it. He goes on in verse six or 18. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Paul had such a, a laser focus on the glory to be experienced in the next life, placing all his hope, all his dreams, all his drive, all his aspirations in the fact that he would one day stand before God and stand before him for eternity, worshiping God face to face with the Lord of all creation. And he looked at that day continually amidst his suffering when he's like, I've been shipwrecked this many times. I've been beaten with rods this many times. I've been stoned this many times. I've been out at sea, lost, forlorn. I've suffered many hungers. I've been, uh, I've been through it all. These same things that Paul would call light and momentary affliction. Why? Because there is an eternal and heavy glory ahead. 
See, the Christian life is a life of delayed gratification. We're trying to teach our, our daughters this. Trying to say, hey, we'll give you this money for this chore. We can go to the store right now and you could buy a candy bar. Or we could put this aside and save it. And if we keep doing this, you can accumulate more that maybe a week from now, a month from now, you could get a big toy. And Marley will go, Marley's five. I think I want to wait, Daddy. She's starting to get it. That to say no to something now means that something better is ahead. Joey just turned four. I think I went to candy now, Daddy. And that is our flesh. We want the candy now. And the life of the Christian is a life of denying ourselves, taking up our cross, recognizing the deepest hope that we have is in the deepest joy that could ever be experienced, not in this life, but in the life to come. And the world looks at us as foolish for it. The cross is foolishness to the world. But there will be a day when we stand before the Lord and you'll hear one of two things. We talked about it last week. Either we will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Or we will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward. Cost versus reward. And the next time that you're tempted to sin, the next time you're tempted to, to waver in your faith, just remind yourself of the way that you help kids make decisions to delay their gratification and just go this momentary pleasure, this fleeting pleasure of sin is not worth it. Because I have an eternal reward in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word. I ask by your Holy Spirit today, that you would call us into true and deep discipleship, that we would count the cost, that we would be honest with ourselves, that following you is not a life of ease and comfort and convenience, but you've called us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow you. Let all of us, God, by your grace, evaluate. Does my life look like that? Lord, I confess I need to grow in this. Lord, help me. Help me deny myself more and more daily. Take up my cross daily. Help all of us, Lord. I ask by your Holy Spirit that you would put a deep conviction in all of us for the surpassing eternal value and worth of knowing Jesus. That we would be so focused on the reward of knowing you and having your spirit now as a foretaste of the glory to come and that one day we would experience the fullness of your glory in a way that would give us joy beyond our mind's ability to comprehend. Lord, help us be faithful today so that we can stand before you well on that day. In Jesus' name, amen.